Hey there, thank you so much for listening to the Big Time Talker Podcast. We're on the Blog Talk Radio Network, live and worldwide from Washington, D.C. I'm Burke Allen. Our show is sponsored by our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. So if you're a meeting planner or a speaker, get together there and figure out how to do things moving forward, whether it's a virtual speaking event or something in person in 2021, visit SpeakerMatch.com. Lots of folks are finding themselves stressed. And here in Washington, D.C., where I am, the stress is over the top. As we record this podcast, we're in the thick of election season and election madness. And there's lots of folks that just want to get out of town and away from from Washington. But there's a part of Washington, D.C. that many folks aren't aware of. It's the nature of Washington, D.C. And Melanie Chakas Bradley is an expert on natural history. She's a naturalist and a certified forest therapy guide based here in the nation's capital. So when she's not writing books, and she's written a bunch of them, she does things like nature hikes and tree tours and and forest bathing walks, which I want to ask her about. She's my friend, and she grew up in Vermont and brought her love of the outdoors to Washington, D.C., which is a place that, that Melanie, lots of folks don't necessarily think of as an outdoorsy location. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you, Burke. And yes, it's not the first thing that Washington is known for. But you know, um, a love of nature is woven into the fabric of our city. We have incredibly beautiful parks and gardens throughout the city, including um, Theodore Roosevelt Island, which is a wild memorial to Theodore Roosevelt, our foremost conservation president. And You know, the love of nature goes way back. Um, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, who were both very involved in the early days of the Capitol, Washington chose the site and Jefferson um, executed the first street tree planting on record in the city. And they were both real tree lovers. You know, they're known for being horticulturists and being very plant savvy. And, you know, we might even call them tree huggers today. So, The love of nature goes way back here. And, you know, there are people who just, you know, their favorite thing to do in Washington is to walk in Rock Creek Park or through the, you know, stroll through the gardens uh, behind the Smithsonian Castle, go to the Arboretum and the uh, Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens. It's just, it's a real beauty spot. We talk about stress uh, here in Washington. People mm-hmm. all over the country, all over the world are feeling it now. I mean, the, the pandemic stretches on, the, the economic uncertainty that goes along with that. And you actually wrote a book uh, early on in the pandemic about connecting with nature in a time of crisis. How important do you think that is for you and, and for folks who are listening? I think a lot of people who didn't really turn to nature for solace before the pandemic have discovered that with their ordinary routines disrupted, their ability to travel hampered, that connecting with nature close to home has become become something really important to people. Our skies have been cleaner and quieter. And, um, you know, people, you know, neighborhoods throughout the country find people strolling, you know, taking walks, strolling through their neighborhoods, sitting in their backyards, and really discovering that when you are out in nature, you can let go of a lot of the uh, worries that you have, you can let go of your anxiety, 
Um, if you're grieving the loss of a loved one, it's very comforting to be with the trees and the flowers and tune into the season, seasonal changes. So I think a lot of people have discovered that in the past few months. And that's what that book that I wrote, Resilience, Connecting with Nature in a Time of Crisis, is, is really all about. You know, it seems so obvious and so intuitive, but for a lot of folks, it's not. For a lot of folks, they've become accustomed to always having that cell phone at their hand or always having, you know, face-to-face interaction. And now where that's not practical, maybe getting out into nature, even if it's just for a walk around the block, is, is as important now or maybe more important than ever. I really think it is. I think it's incredibly restorative. A lot of us, including children, are spending time, you know, much more screen time than usual. And that can be very hard on your eyes. It can be, you know, it it really stresses you. So if you can, you know, walk away from the screen and go outside, that's probably the best antidote for, for all the screen time. And I know parents who they they've declared you know one day a week nature day for their children and they just let their children play outside all day and they go on you know short trips near home and um and really get them away from the screens there's a lot of health research it it started in japan a few years ago but it has since you know uh, health researchers around the world have researched the benefits of spending time in nature and they found that the physical and mental health benefits of quiet time spent in nature are really significant from lower blood pressure, um, lower levels of stress hormones such as cortisol, um, a boost to your immune system um, when you're out in nature. And then the mental health benefits, you know, for, for people who spend a lot of time in nature like me, we know that our mood improves when we're, we're out among the trees. But now there's research to show that and to show that, you know, there's a form of negative thinking called ruminative thought. And that's when you just keep turning something over in your mind over and over again. And, you know, it's a negative thought pattern and you don't really get anywhere. You're not really solving any problems. You're just kind of making yourself crazy. And if you go out in nature, you can let go of those negative thought patterns. There was a study at at Stanford University where um, on on ruminative thinking and people, there are two groups, one walked in a natural area and one walked in a very urban area. And the people who walked in the natural area had, you know, got relief from (laughs) ruminative thinking. And I know that I do, you know, if if I'm turning something over in my mind and just, you know, in a negative thought pattern, if I go walk out into Rock Creek Park or I go to Theodore Roosevelt Island, if I walk across the footbridge to the island, I really let go of, of negative thinking. So there are just all kinds of um, mental and physical health benefits when we spend time in nature. Lisa Alexander, the executive director of the Audubon Naturalist Society, calls our guest Melanie Chokas-Bradley, um, one of the nation's environmental leaders, writers, and champions. And your new book this finding solace at Theodore Roosevelt Island. I have to tell you, as a guy who has lived in Washington, D.C., uh, near Washington, D.C., for almost 20 years now, 
I'm ashamed to say I have oh. never been to Theodore Roosevelt no, Island, no. <laughs> but I bet there are lots of people like me that don't even know that whiz in and out of the nation's capital, don't even know that there's this gorgeous island in the Potomac right there beside the city. Um, tell me about how you first discovered Theodore Roosevelt Island and what makes it so special to you. Okay, well, first of all, let me say, we have got to get you to the island, Burke. That's that's very high on my agenda. I'm in. <laughs> um, I discovered it years ago, but it wasn't until recently that I, I spent a lot of time there. The thing about the island is it's kind of hiding in plain sight because it's right in the middle of the Potomac River. It's within um, Washington, D.C. city bounds. It's between the... Um, Georgetown waterfront and uh, the Virginia shore in Roslyn, Virginia. And if you travel over the Key Bridge, the Memorial Bridge, or the Theodore Roosevelt Bridge, you look down and see this island every time you cross one of those bridges. And it's just, you know, hiding in plain sight. Um, But I discovered a few years ago what a wonderful refuge it is. It's an 88-acre island. It is a memorial to Theodore Roosevelt, and there is a statue and a plaza around the statue. But my favorite parts of the island are the wild parts. Um, There's a wonderful trail network. The trails are really wide. So in the era of COVID, it's a very good destination because you can easily keep up that six-foot distance when you're hiking. And there are trails um, all around the shoreline, so you see the river, you see the river from from many vantage points. There is a boardwalk that goes through this beautiful tidal marsh and a silver maple swamp. There are very dramatic rock outcrops on the northern end of the island. The very cool thing about this island is it's right on the fall line. Um, Washington, D.C., you know, Georgetown originally and then Washington grew up largely because it's the last navigable point, easily navigable point on the Potomac River. And a lot of our eastern cities are located on the fall line because then when it gets too hilly, you know, you can't, you know, a big ship can't can't keep going up river. So the city grew up here and the island is right on the fall line. So the northern end of the island is very rocky. And then the, and then it flattens out. Um, it's in the the northern end is in the Piedmont region, which is the hilly region going over toward the mountains. And then the southern end is in the coastal plain, and that's the flat land that goes over to the eastern shore of Maryland and Virginia. And um, so you get these dramatic changes. Um, the, there's it's tidal. The river is tidal here. It's fresh water, but it is tidal, and there's quite a dramatic. Um, change in tides from high tide to low tide. So when when you go to the island, you're really aware of when the tide is low, you see mudflats and you'll see great blue herons and great egrets out, um, you know, fishing on the on the mudflats, fishing in the river. And then when the when the tide is high, the water comes right up to to the shore. Um, so there's just a, all kinds of really cool things about this island. There are no buildings on Theodore Roosevelt Island, right? It's not developed at all. This is really no. a natural uh, spot, despite it being right yes. there in Washington, D.C. That's amazing. I know. And, you know, and another thing, um, they don't allow any cars or even bicycles on the island. So that makes it a, a true refuge. And there's something psychological about walking across a bridge 
to the island that is very pleasing. You know, you you know that bridge kind of symbolizes letting go of your cares, letting go of the cares of the day, the headlines, anything bothering you, and then you're on the island. There are lots of folks who listen to the podcast from Washington, D.C., from Northern Virginia, from Maryland, but they listen from, from all over the world. So when you're in Washington, D.C., and people come into the city in and out constantly, and you want to go to Theodore Roosevelt Island, you've, you've heard this podcast, and you want to maybe pick up uh, Melanie's book about Theodore Roosevelt Island, or you want to visit, you mentioned a footbridge, but when you go, sometimes you take the footbridge, but you also like to kayak over there. I love to kayak around the island. That's just about my favorite thing. So there are two boathouses on the shore in in Washington, D.C. that are near the island. The Key Bridge Boathouse, which is located right under Key Bridge, and Thompson Boat Center, which is located right next to where Rock Creek flows into the Potomac. And you can rent kayaks and canoes um, at both of those boathouses, and then you can paddle all the way around the island. And when you paddle close to the shore, you see all kinds of bird life. I was um, kayaking last week. I saw two bald eagles on the island. They were each standing sentinel in the top of a tree, and then they flew out over the Potomac River. And um, it's, it's just, it's amazing because if you look over your left shoulder, you'll see the Kennedy Center, the Watergate Hotel, the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, and then you look over your right shoulder and here's this wild island with bald eagles and great blue herons and wood ducks and beautiful trees, which are now already starting to show autumn color. This is a beautiful time to visit Washington, D.C. And, and obviously with what's happening, so much less crowded than it normally is. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I hope you don't mind. I'm sure you've got a copy of the book close by. Would you read a little bit of Finding Solace at Theodore Roosevelt Island and sort of paint this picture for us about this this secret island right in the middle of the most powerful city in the world? I would love to do that, Burke. And I have a passage that comes to mind. Um, I wrote it on October 18th. And my year of record for Finding Solace at Theodore Roosevelt Island was the summer of 2016 until the summer of 2017. And that was a very um, impactful, uh, stressful time in our country as, as we're, we're in a very stressful time now as well. That's right. So, yeah, so turning to nature was especially important to me. And so this is October 18th. The river was a dark mirror as I kayaked toward Theodore Roosevelt Island on a windless afternoon. Fallen leaves floated on the surface of the water. The orange and brown leaves of elm and sycamore and the golden leaflets of hickory barely moved on the surface of the outgoing tide and slow southern current. The profiles of the Kennedy Center and the classically columned Lincoln Memorial sparkled in the afternoon sun. And I saw the occasional large orange lollipop of a blazing sugar maple planted on the riverside. The view upriver toward Key Bridge was a handsome sight. The gray stone towers of Georgetown rising above the green and white Potomac Boat Club. Peeking into the Theodore Roosevelt Island trails, I could make out high school cross country teams streaking through the woods in their colorful running clothes. Rounding the northern edge of the island, 
I saw that crew teams were out in force on the river, sleekly traveling north. Planes streaked overhead and cars, walkers, and cyclists traveled over the high arches of Key Bridge. As I dipped my paddle in the river, a chattering kingfisher flew in front of me and I thought, this is the city that I know. Commuters heading home, rowers heading upriver, tide going out, river flowing, birds flying. This city, not the gridlock city of partisan rancor on a hill that the world often views with scorn. Everything here flowing gracefully in all directions. Oh, I love that. Melanie Chakas Bradley, our guest today, <laughs> reading from Finding Solace at Theodore Roosevelt Island. I just took a deep breath during that and felt much better. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Burke. Well, you, you bring something out in that passage that many folks, I think, don't ever, ever, ever think about uh, Washington, D.C. as a place where you can let your troubles go, where the stress can ebb away. But Theodore Roosevelt Island definitely sounds like that kind of spot. It, it absolutely is. And we have, you know, we have other parks and, and places in Washington that, that, that do this as well. Rock Creek Park runs right down the center of our city. This week, it celebrated its 130th birthday. Wow. It is the, yeah, and it's the oldest urban national park in the country. It's twice the size of Central Park in New York. And, you know, for, for us here in Washington, it is a real refuge. And when you leave trees alone for 130 years, you have quite a forest canopy <laughs> to enjoy. So there's Rock Creek Park. Um, the Theodore Roosevelt Island is the southern part of the what's called the Potomac Gorge. And the northern, northern end of it is Great Falls which is an amazing place. Um, the Great Falls of the Potomac, you can, you can um, access both from the Maryland side and from the Virginia side. And then um, there's just this beautiful gorge um, that goes 15 miles downstream to Washington. And it's one of the most um, biologically diverse places in the country. So, and then we've got our National Arboretum, our um, Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens, the Capitol grounds, I, you know, in ordinary times, when, when we don't have the pandemic raging, I lead um, tree tours of the Capitol grounds several times a year for t several times a year for the U.S. Botanic Garden. And um, the, the landscape around the Capitol was um, the work of Frederick Law Olmsted, who also designed Central Park. And there are incredible um, trees around the Capitol. So these are some of the glimpses of Washington that are just not as nationally and internationally known. But I hope when people who live outside of the city come to visit, you'll you'll visit some of our beautiful parks as well as some of the more well-known landmarks. Spend a little time getting out into nature and, and let that stress uh, ebb away. And we should mention that Melanie is, you know, certainly one of uh, Washington, D.C.'s uh, best-known naturalists, but also uh, uh, known all over the country. I mean, you're on CBS Sunday Morning, and they write about you in the Washington Post, and you've been doing this for a long time. And I wonder, I wonder if part of that is because of one of your other books that you wrote, and I'm going to tease you a little bit about it. It's the book you wrote about forest bathing. 
And I'm wondering if if there's uh, you know folks that think, all right, I'm going to stumble out into Theodore Roosevelt Island, and there's going to be a bathtub, and I'm going to find you know <laughs> Melanie scrubbing her back here in the middle of this island. What what is forest bathing? And tell me about the joy you get of it, because the book is the joy of forest bathing. <laughs> oh, Burke, thank you. You really made me laugh. <laughs> yes. Um, Forest bathing, it's its not a literal phrase. It's its a translation of shindimyoku, which is Japanese for forest bathing. However, it's a term that was coined in the 1980s by the Forestry Agency in Japan to, um, to describe that feeling of being out in nature and soaking up the beauty and wonder around you through all your senses and with an open heart. So that's what the phrase forest bathing means. It's not like taking a bath outside. So there is no loofah, there's no scrub brushes. I <laughs> no wonder loofah, though. No loofah because, you know, Melanie, the, the subtitle of this book is Reconnect with Wild Places <laughs> and Rejuvenate Your Life. And, and, you know, my mind is going in a million directions. So, oh, dear. Oh, dear. So how does one go forest bathing and when you do these forest bathing trips paint that picture for me yes okay so forest bathing i mean it's something you can do alone um i am a i am a certified forest bathing guide and i have also traveled to japan and spent three weeks on a forest bathing trip there going with um, japanese shindinoku guides what you do on a forest bathing walk is first of all it's not like a hike because you're not covering a lot of ground um What's important is that you slow down, you breathe deeply, and you just really settle into your surroundings. And then you tune in with all your senses. So we have, as, as forest bathing guides, we'll, we'll give people on a guided walk with a small group, we'll give in what we call invitations. So I might say, um, spend the next five or 10 minutes noticing what's in motion. And I'm doing that right now. I'm, I'm sitting under some beautiful sugar maple trees and there's a gentle breeze and I'm watching the way that all the leaves tend to dance in different directions in this breeze. And, you know, it's, it's a mindfulness practice. It's somewhat akin to meditation, yoga and Tai Chi because the idea is to become fully present and, and, and also in forest bathing to really be aware of your surroundings. So um, we'll give different invitations to help people connect with nature in different ways. Touch, of course, is one of them. Touching the bark of trees, the leaves, the flowers. Maybe if there's some nice smooth stones around, picking up the stones and holding them. Another invitation I love to do is to um, invite people to imagine that you're a child and relate to nature as you would as a child. And that is really fun for people because it it brings them right back to their own childhoods. And people in my generation had more of a free-range childhood where we had a lot of freedom to roam. That's right. And, yeah, and, you know, I I just think that's the best thing for kids, for them to have that freedom to just be out in nature playing, you know, letting their imaginations go wild. Um. And, and then, you know, um, you know we, as guides, we may invite you to commune with a tree in any way that's comfortable for you. Um, so that could be sitting under the tree, lying under the tree, climbing the tree, hugging the tree, just really tuning in to a particular tree. 
And then um, I also, as a forest bathing guide and a naturalist, I urge people to call, to find and adopt what I call a wild home. So that could be your backyard, a neighborhood park. It could just be your porch. Um, someplace really close to home that you can visit as often as possible and really get to know it. And, and, and then you develop this intimate relationship with the place that's very much like a relationship with a person. You know, you learn, you learn the place in all of its moods and all of its seasons and times of day. And that is just a really rewarding thing. And, and now with all the stress we have, it can be a real comfort. Melanie Chakas-Bradley, our guest today. The new book is Finding Solace at Theodore Roosevelt Island, the one that came out earlier this year, Connecting with Nature in a Time of Crisis, which is very, very timely. They're from Changemakers Books and available uh, at Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. You know, you said something that reminded me so much of my own childhood. As a kid in the 70s, you know, our teachers would take us out into the woods in the mountains of West Virginia where I grew up and, and have us pay attention to what we heard and, and what we saw and what we smelled. And, and of course, our, our parents would say, look, you know, get out there and play in the mountains and don't come back until dark. And, <laughs> I, you know, I think they were onto something, right? And, and that's being lost for generations today. So this is a real opportunity, even as adults, for us to sort of reconnect with that that childhood wonder and let some of those stresses of 2020 ebb away. Absolutely, Burke. And I think your childhood in West Virginia sounds so much like my childhood in Vermont. And you mentioned, you know, smells. You know, that's another thing we focus on in our, on our forest bathing walks. Um, the smells in nature, you know, the smells of leaves and twigs and flowers and, and the earth itself, they can evoke such strong memories. I mean, there's nothing like a wonderful fragrance to just bring you back. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, you know, well, our parents told us to go out and play. We can tell ourselves to go out and play now that we're grown up. There's no reason we can't say to ourselves, go out and play and don't come back until dinner time. <laughs> Can I tell you, Melanie, I think you may have the best job in the world. I mean, you lead nature hikes, tree tours, you do forest bathing. No one has to bring soap. Um, you go kayaking out to an island that most people don't even know exists in D.C. You must love, love, love what you do. What, what is your favorite thing? I do, Burke. Oh gosh, thank you so much. I do, I do love all, 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 my, all those things you mentioned. You know, just being in nature, just being aware, um, feeling the seasons change. And I'm very excited today because it's suddenly October. Right. What a thrilling month. And, you know, um, I'm from Vermont where, you know, we have incredible fall foliage in Vermont. We're famous for it. Um, but it only lasts for a few days. Here in Washington, we have fall color that goes on. It starts in September, it goes through October, November, even into December. I love the fall here. I and do too. I love it's all, I, yeah, I love all the seasons. You, you love it too. Very yeah. much my favorite time of the year here in in the Washington D.C. region. It's yeah. just gorgeous, and you know the the climate is great. The temperature is not too hot. It's not too cool. It's sweater weather in the evening, and a great chance to get out and. And check out Theodore Roosevelt Island, by the way, which is uh, the subject of Melanie's new book. Um, so as we record this podcast, Melanie, we're just coming out of um, the first presidential debate. And, and I think I'm probably not alone in just feeling 
stressed and overwhelmed because it's just like one more thing. We have the pandemic, which has just been horrible for an awful lot of folks. And, uh, you know, I talked to some folks earlier today who have been out of work for six months. There's, there's so much stress that's happening and what you're writing about takes that stress away. So I'm going to lean on you and ask you before we wrap up to read a little bit more from, from the book, if you've got something that might help our listeners let some of that stress just seep away. Do you have something that, that you could point to pretty quickly? Sure. You know, and I'm going to read some, you know, another stress that we have is um, our worries about climate change. That's and right trying to figure out where to put our energies to, to mitigate as much as we can personally. And um, so I'm going to, I, I hope I won't add to your stress by reading this passage. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't but, think that's possible. Good. <laughs> um, but, but, but it is about, it is about climate change concerns, but also it's about how it sounds counterintuitive but when you spend time in nature, you can let you can even let go of your climate change worries if you if you allow yourself to be fully present and just feel the joy of the moment. So this was written in um, March of 2017, and we had a very strange winter here. We it got really hot, and uh, the trees all started to bloom, and then we had a deep freeze and snow, and a lot of the blossoms froze, and so I'm. In this passage, I'm I'm concerned about that, but but the passage does have a, a happy ending. When I drove through the city on Monday afternoon, March 6th, I witnessed frozen brown blooms on many Asian magnolias. Every early flowering magnolia around the White House was an ugly brown, which seemed dismally symbolic. Some of the early flowering cherry blossoms were also looking limp and brownish. Coaxed into blooming too early by record high temperatures, they couldn't withstand the freeze that followed. In addition to many regional and global concerns, climate change presents deep challenges on the heart level. I'm emotionally tuned to the dramatic changes that each of the four distinct seasons brings. No transformation is more ingrained in my heart than the hope of spring after a long, cold winter. But when winter has barely hinted at the need for hibernation, how can I wholeheartedly long for warmth and verdancy or welcome it with open arms when it arrives too soon? When drought is factored in with wild swings in heat and cold, when the flowers are stressed and confused, how can I surrender to the joy unique to spring in Washington? These are questions that trouble me deeply, especially when I ask them of myself indoors. Then I find myself walking across the footbridge to Theodore Roosevelt Island. Wood ducks are splashing in Little River. Little River is the channel of the Potomac between Theodore Roosevelt Island and the Virginia shore. Wood ducks are splashing in Little River and maples and elms are blooming along the island shore. The climate may be in serious jeopardy here and around the world, but can I deny the happy reality of the outgoing tide and the setting sun? I cannot. See, I was I was worried for a minute, but you brought it back at the end. 
Melanie Chuck is yeah. Bradley. No, look, I, I'll, I'll tell you, it, when I listen to you read from the book, it, it really does help melt that away. But even more so, what it does is bring into focus there are certain things in your life that you can control. And there are other things that are out of your control. And you can control whether you can turn off the TV or close that laptop, set the phone down, and, and sort of get outside and take a deep breath. Or if you've got a dog or a cat to spend some therapeutic time scratching that dog behind the ears or rubbing that cat on the belly, those things are going to make your world immeasurably better. And, again, it seems so intuitive, but I think right now we're all so amped up, it's tough to get you to do those things. That is so beautifully expressed, Burke. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it is really easy to just become so consumed by the headlines and everything we're dealing with now that we forget to take care of ourselves. And I think one of the, one of the really um, important means of self-care is to invite ourselves to spend time in nature. Melanie Chakas Bradley, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And good luck with the new book, Finding Solace at Theodore Roosevelt Island. We'll watch for you on CBS Sunday morning, read about you in the post and, and uh, all over the Internet. People love what you're saying, and I think it's, it's very much needed right now. Thank you so much, Burke. It's been such a pleasure talking with you and discovering our parallels in our Vermont and West Virginia childhoods. I love it. And now <laughs> we've you. come together here in D.C. You're welcome. <laughs> Melanie Chakas Bradley's book is Finding Solace at Theodore Roosevelt Island. So the first thing i got to do is find Theodore Roosevelt Island in the middle of the Potomac the next time I head into D.C. I'm walking across the footbridge. Hey, wherever you are, wherever you're listening today, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to our show sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com. I'm Burke Allen for my guest, Melanie Chakas-Bradley. Thank you for listening. Go out and make it a great day.